Welcome to the latest episode of the Varying Viewpoints podcast series sponsored by the Samuel DeWitt Proctor Institute for Leadership, Equity, and Justice at Rutgers University. I'm your host, Shreya Morrison, and I'm a communications intern at the Proctor's Institute, and I'm here with our invited guest, Sarah Todd, who is a professor and director of the School of Social Work at Carleton University. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, thank you. So let's get started. Tell me about what you do and your role at Carleton University. Uh, so I help run the School of Social Work at the university, and I also uh, teach in the graduate program and the undergraduate program, um, and I do some research in a simulation lab that we have uh, on the 11th floor of Dunton Tower. Awesome. So what are the issues you research, and what are some of the challenges you have personally faced when exploring controversial issues, particularly as it relates to whiteness and social work with communities and organizations? Uh, so I do and I research in a number of areas related to uh, social work, um, uh, particularly community practice and then uncertainty in clinical practice. Um, and in some of that work, what I have touched on is how uh, whiteness is secured by um, white women's involvement in community development. Um, I think some of the challenges of doing that kind of research is that it can make people uncomfortable and uh, you're trying to understand how broad systems shape um, people who are really trying to do good work and trying to hold and appreciate that good work, but also see the implications in securing relations of privilege. So that balance is sometimes hard to uh, achieve. Awesome. What does whiteness look like in the social work occupation? And what does it look like when an organization or individual combats these issues effectively? And furthermore, are there any individuals or organizations who could serve as an exemplar? Um, so I, I think that, you know, that, that, um, Social work practice is always complicated. There's rarely one thing happening at a time. So when you ask about what these things look like in practice, um, there's usually multiple things happening. So uh, there uh, has historically been uh, a bit of a challenging relationship where it's often been uh, white middle-class social workers going into communities that are dealing with poverty, um, and who are racialized. And that's beginning to shift. So the identities are shifting. Um, but when that happens, these workers are often doing really important work, um, helping to support communities that are struggling um, and doing a lot of really creative things like um, setting up community kitchens, uh, homework clubs, um, food cupboards, clothing stores, and those kinds of things, and uh, playgrounds. So setting up lots of community and collective um, projects that are really important to building a community's sense of having control over what's happening and uh, making a difference in their daily lives. At the same time, there the ways in which uh, white women engage in these practices are a way in which we can 
help um, secure a sense of ourselves as being good people. Um, and the problematic comes in that um, part of white women's identity has often been about understanding oneself as a good person helping in the world. Um, and that's what shores up a sense of whiteness as um, being innocent and not being complicit in problematic relationships. And one of the ways we do that is through this kind of work. And it doesn't mean that the work isn't good and useful, but it does mean that uh, it's important that we look at ourselves um, instead of sort of binaries of good versus evil, and instead understanding that we sort of have an ambiguous subjectivity, that there's some really altruistic motives uh, in our practices, but there are also um, motives that are more problematic and caught, caught up in wanting to see, perceive ourselves and be perceived in certain ways. Um, in terms of exemplars, I think there's lots of uh, women uh, and white women across the city and across North America doing really um, valuable community work and trying to uh, really reflect on themselves and stay with an ambiguous identity. So I don't think there's like one thing to showcase. I think this is just how we do interpersonal practice and cross-cultural practice is um, challenging and um, is something we're continually working on. Right. So in your opinion, what else should higher education institutions do to address whiteness and or social work in general? And how can higher education be instrumental in solving the white saviors issue present in advocacy? So uh, again, I, I mean, I think, uh, I think I can speak more to social work than higher education itself. Um, though I can maybe cross over a little bit. Um, but I think the thing is, many of us come into advocacy and activism um, and social work because we really care about the world and we really want to make a difference in the world. And uh, we want to be part of the solution, not part of the problems. And I think those are really um, very good motives. Like, I, I think that. Uh, we need that in the world and that that's valuable in the world. Um, but I think when we're doing professional education particularly, so I think it's probably easier for me to talk about that, whether that be social work or medicine or education, um, that that drive sort of comes up against a reality, which is um, these jobs, while they are about trying to make the world a better place and, and helping people. They are also how um, we become middle-class and secure in economic privilege and that we have a lot invested in those being sustained in particular ways. Um, and I think that turning um, our curriculum to allow space for greater self-reflection to encourage students, uh, to see themselves as ambiguous and to sort of stay with that discomfort um, and to find ways to experience work as meaningful and valuable to oneself without having to be, to see oneself as a hero. And instead 
sort of support students um, to see that heroic projects are, for the most part, sort of fictional projects that um, instead of trying to be heroes, we can find professional fulfillment uh, with owning our ambiguity and also um, to support students to interrogate the heroes that we have and the heroes that we look at and to see um, them more as people who are complicated with uh, strengths and weaknesses and that that actually is something helpful that we bring to social change work that we don't have to be pure as Alexis Shotwell says we we can actually create valuable social change and be ambivalent and complicated and ambiguous. So why is your work important for the future in higher education? You had mentioned earlier your focus on social work and post-structuralist and post-modernist theories. How can Carleton University and other institutions of higher education benefit from such research? So I, I think that um, that there is um, a, a room for lots of different theoretical approaches and that those approaches um, really enrich a university. I think one thing that post-structuralism uh, is helpful to contributing across, again, a range of theories is that um, that it, it looks at both the sort of broad social change, but also how interpersonal relationships work around social change. And so um, that is useful to um, seeing oneself self as implicated in social justice projects. Um, and that personalized political piece really delving into the needs and desires we bring to that work, I think enriches it and deepens it. Awesome. Do you ever encounter challenges when you teach about advocacy and social work? And in contrast, do you see anything promising and or any changes happening with your students' perspectives on whiteness and their support of marginalized groups? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's lots of challenges in teaching that I think that the challenge is um, that um, we how to, can people sustain hope and hope in change? Um, and one of the ways we culturally do that is to invest in notions of heroism. And so it's uh, challenging to try to teach students about advocacy and social change and to try to find other ways to cultivate hope without having to see oneself as innocent. And the problem is that often um, because we we work in spaces that are kind of binary or either good or bad, it's difficult for students to um, see themselves as ambiguous, but also hopeful and meaningful in that work. Um, so I think that's one of the challenges. And I'm sorry, I forgot. I don't remember the rest of the question. Um, the rest of the question was, do you see anything promising and or any changes happening with your students' perspectives on whiteness and their support of marginalized groups? Uh, yeah, I think there's increasingly a real awareness of whiteness um, and white privilege. I don't I think that's sort of entering um, 
the public discourse. I think there's a danger there in that um, it can again turn into white people centering themselves and their own experiences to the exclusion of racialized communities. Um, and so I think when racialized indigenous and black communities are are being taken up, it is important that that not gets sort of sideswiped by discussions of whiteness that again, let white students and white instructors talk so focus solely on their experience. Um, and uh, at the same time, I think that uh, it is important to see that we're all implicated in the project, which is hopeful. So, I mean, I, I don't think this, I think these are pathways that are tension and we're filled and we're always going back and forth. Um, but I, I do think that issues of racism, anti-Black racism and white privilege and white supremacy are becoming more visible in the general public. And that means there's more space to work on these issues. How can your findings be applied in the world your students venture out into after finishing their education? Um, so I think it's hopefully they carry uh, these ideas with them, and hopefully it makes them more self-reflective in practice um, and gives them some language to talk about what is going on so that uh, whether if they're white, so that they can use this language to reflect on themselves, and if they're Black, Indigenous, or racialized, so that they can have language to hold their white colleagues to account for what's going on. Perfect. So thank you so much, Sarah, for your time, your wisdom, and your voice. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we leave today? No, thank you for this. Of course. Thank you so much again.